welcome to RUF. No, no matter where you are tonight, no matter what you've done, no matter what you believe, we're glad that you're here. Uh, my name is Matt. I'm the campus minister with Wofford RUF. And if I haven't met you, I've met most of you. If I haven't, I would love to. Please do stay for dessert, uh, Mount Calvary, uh, whenever they provide food, you want to eat it. So, um, Caroline Cotton, our intern. Where's Caroline? Um, yeah, if you haven't met her, meet her as well. And we'd love to get a meal with you and get coffee with you at some point. Um, RUF stands for Reformed University Fellowship, and we're the one, one of the many campus ministries here trying to walk alongside you and help you grow in your faith. Um, we're trying to figure out what it looks like to love God and love others here at Wofford College, and we're a people most fundamentally bound by the reality that before anything else, God loves us. So we long to be a campus ministry that shows you and teaches you that you're loved by God before anything else. And this semester... We've been focusing on the parables of Jesus. And the parables were stories that Jesus told in his life and in his ministry. And they often disoriented people. Jesus always had a way of frustrating his hearers. He would make them scratch their heads. And, and tonight we're looking at a parable of the unforgiving servant. And it's a parable where Jesus is focusing on the nature of forgiveness in the Christian life. So there was this article that I noticed floating around in the New York Times, and it was called Taylor Swift, Philosopher of Forgiveness. And Ivy and I love T. Swift. We've been following her for a while. And uh, I was like, I've got to read this. And this was way before I was working on this sermon. And the, the author goes on to comment on how Taylor Swift has this pattern of revenge songs in her albums. There's always a couple. And there's the CBS Sunday morning show where she's interviewed by a reporter. And here's the interaction. This is the reporter. Almost every album, you are addressing your haters. At least one song. Swift responds, yeah, I do have a habit of doing that, don't I? And then the reporter says, why is that? And then she responds... Well, when they stop, stop coming for me, I stop singing to them. Uh, people go on and on saying that you have to forgive and you have to forget to move past something. But no, you don't. You don't have to forgive and you don't have to forget to move on. You can move on without any of those things happening. You can just be indifferent and you move on. And the reporter responds, but do you believe in forgiveness? And then Taylor Swift responds, oh, yes, absolutely. Like people who are important in your life, who've enriched your life and made it better. And there's some struggle and bad stuff, too. But I think if, uh, if something is toxic and it's only toxic, then what are you going to do? Just move on and it'll be fine. And she's kind of, even in the interview, you can tell she's being like uncharacteristically vulnerable and unfiltered about this. But what she's putting words to is that it is so profoundly challenging to forgive people who have hurt us. It's so challenging to forgive people who have hurt us. It's been said before that forgiveness sounds great until someone's hurt you. Forgiveness sounds great until you have to do it. Um, But our parable tonight, Jesus is really going to disorient our categories for what forgiveness looks like if we're going to follow him in his world. 
The text is before you in your handout. If you got one, you can turn to Matthew 18 if you want to use your own Bible. I'm going to read the text, pray, and we're going to look at it. And this is God's Word, friends, and He's spoken to us. He's not silent. He's spoken to us not to give us a theology exam to master or a book of rules to follow. He's spoken to you. He's spoken to me because He loves us. Then Peter came up and said to him, saying to Jesus, Lord, how often will my, uh, will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but 77 times. And therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. This, this parable that Jesus starts telling. And when he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. And, and since he could not pay... His master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children, all that he had, and payment had to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I'll pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed And they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not uh, you have mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is God's word. Let's go to him in prayer that he might teach us. God, you are not silent. You've spoken to us and your word is living and active and we know that's true and we trust that because you are living and active. But Lord, we do come to you and we come to you humbly confessing this is the end of the day and our minds are busy and our hearts are restless and we will simply not hear you unless you speak to us. Lord, clear our minds and slow us down that we would be both hearers of your word and doers of your word, that we become more like Christ. We pray in his name. Amen. So you have the game plan in front of you. Um, First, extending forgiveness and then experiencing forgiveness. That's how we're going to manage our time together in this text. Extending forgiveness, experiencing forgiveness. Let's do the first one together. Now there are all kinds of parables in the Gospels that Jesus told in his life. And there are some parables um, that that are sort of Hallmark card-esque, like the parable of the prodigal son. It's just like, this could be a movie. This is so sweet. And there are other parables where Jesus is intentionally disorienting us. And this is one of those parables. Right when we think we have Jesus figured out, he disorients us in our categories and challenges our hearts. And this is certainly the case with this passage and this story. Peter comes to Jesus and 
ask him, hey, how often should I forgive my brother when he sins? Is seven times enough? Um, is that sufficient for you? And Jesus responds, of course, you, you've got to be kidding me. You're, you're all wrong. 70 times seven. 70 times seven. And rather than referring to 490 times exactly, Jesus is describing forgiveness without limits and without conditions. He's saying, if you're going to do forgiveness with me, you have to do it on my terms. And on forgiveness on my terms, there are no limits to it. That's what he's trying to say. He's saying that my kingdom doesn't run like the world runs with its payment system and bookkeeping. He's saying my kingdom isn't like that. I'm bringing a new way, a way in which bookkeeping has to die and resurrection and forgiveness reigns. And then Jesus tells this parable and he paints this picture of of the dramatic kind of nature of limitless, conditionless forgiveness. And I, I don't know about you, but forgiveness without limits is scary. It's risky. Forgiveness sounds great as long as there are limits on how much you forgive, how often, and then who gets it, right? We put limits not only how often, but who gets it, who deserves it. It's risky to do this. My dad is certainly the most forgiving person I think I've ever met. And uh, my dad and I, uh, my, my childhood home was on a couple of acres, and then we had so many trees. And this homeless man shows up to our house, and I was around 10 years old. And he shows up, and he looks absolutely disgusting. And he smelt terrible. And, I, I mean, we were, I was afraid when I saw him show up. And my dad walks out, greets him, and they begin to talk. And he asked my dad uh, for work. Is there any work in the area, a job? And my dad was like, I'm running my own business, and we have all these trees. There's so much to do. And he, get, he began to give this homeless man work to do around our house. And the next day he shows up, and he starts doing these jobs. And he did all, the dude could do anything, and uh, it was fantastic. And he and my dad began to be friends. But what happened was, Two or three months later, after he began to work for us, he started stealing from us. And he would go to our barn where all of our lawn equipment was. And so it would be like rakes and weed eaters and leaf blowers and even some personal things that's like sentimental to our family. And he started stealing all this stuff. And my dad caught him and told him, hey, you, you can't come here anymore. You're not welcome here at our house. And he, he was off. And then like two, two or three months later, he came back. And I was like, when I saw him, well, he would always kind of walk up in our driveway. And I saw him coming. I'm 10 years old. And I was like, my dad is going to destroy this dude. And, uh, and he goes out. And my dad's like kind of a, he's very forgiving, but he's a hothead for sure. And he walks out and they have this interaction. And, you know, just body language, everything seemed really uh, peaceful. And he comes back inside, and I was, like, waiting for, like, this juicy story. And I was like, Dad, what happened? And he was like, don't worry about it. Everything's fine. Homeless guy shows up the next day and starts working again on our, on our yard. And I was like, Dad, what in the world? Like, why would you let this happen? He ended up giving him another job to do. And so there was this pattern that was established. My dad would give him a job to do. He would do the job. He would start stealing from us. Dad would tell him to leave. Two or three months later, he would come back and over 
and over and over again, my dad would forgive him. There was no limits. There were no limits to the, the, the extension of, of my dad's forgiveness for this man. It was a deep friendship. And this guy like still comes around. This was like, this was, I'm 30. That was 20 years ago when this dude showed up. But it's risky to do this. This no matter how many times, no matter how severe. And it got really bad at times. My dad was like afraid of this guy at times. He was just he was addicted to drugs. He just lived a crazy life. But it's risky, but this is the nature of forgiveness in the Christian life and what it looks like. We're called to extend this kind of limitless forgiveness. But the reality, why it's so hard, is that we live in a fallen world that is sick with sin, and you sin against other people, and people have sinned against you. And so it's it's profoundly hard and stretching for us to extend forgiveness no matter how often they sin against us, no matter who it is. This is so hard to do. This sounds great, really hard to do. But the life of, in God's kingdom is a life of forgiveness. It's, it's where we extend forgiveness to those who have wounded us in our lives. Christians are those who extend forgiveness to alcoholic fathers, to psychotic mothers, to lying friends, to annoying classmates. This is what Christians do without limits, no matter who it is. Christians are those who are committed to extending forgiveness to friends who repeatedly mess up over and over again. Jonathan hinted at this last week when he talked about friendship. It's really risky to do this. I want to be very clear about this. Forgiveness in the Christian life is not the absence of boundaries, okay? It's not the absence of boundaries. And I'm not suggesting, and I, do, I want to be very clear about this, because many of you in this room have been wounded traumatically by people, by the way that you've been sinned against. I just want to name that in this room um, as, as your pastor, as we're dealing with a really difficult text. And I'm not suggesting that you just let people manipulate you and you blindly forgive them. And you have perfect reconciliation with no boundaries. And you, that's not what I'm saying at all. Rather, Jesus is what he's trying to get at is that when we get picky about forgiveness, like how many times we're supposed to extend forgiveness and who deserves it and who doesn't, that's what Jesus is trying to disrupt. It's not healthy boundaries and how to do reconciliation with someone. If you have been sinned against in a traumatic way um, and you long to forgive them, we can talk, come talk to me, come talk to Caroline. um, And counseling is fantastic for this. Like, And that's the kind of, like, those are the tools that you need to do this with certain kinds of sins that we've experienced. I just want to be very clear on that. But forgiveness is the call, and it's the kind without limits. But And because here's the deal, when we, as Christians, when we refuse to forgive others, resentment in our hearts is the result. Resentment is the result. I want to ask you, have you ever harbored resentment and and cynicism in your own heart when, when you've gotten hurt? course you have um it's kind of like intoxicating isn't it like gossiping and spreading lies about someone like you you know like they deserve to be talked about right there's something intoxicating about that when we do this look at this quote somewhere on your um your handout here about anger frederick beatner 
a pastor said this about anger, but think about it in relation to, to forgiveness and resentment. Anger is fun to lick your wounds, to smack your lips over grievances long past, to roll your tongue over the prospect of bitter confrontations yet to come, to savor the last toothsome morsel over the pain that you are given and the pain you give back. In many ways, anger is a feast fit for a king. The chief drawback is that who you're wolfing down is yourself. The skeleton at the feast is you. So the longer we resent others for their shortcomings when we've been hurt, the more numb and callous your heart will become. That's what will happen. But following Jesus means we extend forgiveness without limits, without conditions. But how in the world are we going to do that? Sounds great until we have to do it. So how do we do it? It takes us to the, the point number two, experiencing forgiveness. Experiencing forgiveness. So how do you do this? How do you extend forgiveness? You experience forgiveness. You experience forgiveness. In the kingdom of God, Christians extend limitless forgiveness to others because they have experienced the limitless forgiveness of Jesus. That's why we do it. And that's how you do it. Put very simply, forgiven people forgive. Forgiven people forgive. In the parable Jesus tells us you have a master and you have a servant. The servant is forgiven by the master. He's forgiven. He experiences it. But then he runs across a friend who owes him money. And instead of extending forgiveness to him, which you would naturally expect, he begins to choke the dude. Like, literally, how dramatic can you be? Look at verse 28. But when the same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants, one of his friends, who owed him a hundred denarii, and seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe. So his fellow servant went down and pleaded with him, have patience with me and I'll, I'll pay you. He refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. Y'all, the servant's failure to extend forgiveness to this man, to his friend, is showing us that forgiveness is not landing for him personally. It's not landing in his heart, he hasn't really experienced forgiveness firsthand. In the way that he's stiff-arming this other guy, this parable invites us to see that forgiven people forgive. And then Jesus shows his card in, cards in verse 33, if you'll look there. And should you not have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? Jesus is saying, I want this scorekeeping business to die right now, please. And I want you to bask in my forgiveness. And it will land in your heart in such a way where you just spontaneously and naturally forgive others. This is what you do. Stop this bookkeeping stuff. That's what he's saying. And guys, if anyone has the authority to talk about forgiveness, is it not Jesus? Because, guys, what we know, the storyteller, right, the person who's telling this story about forgiveness ends up bleeding on a cross and dying to secure our own forgiveness. Jesus embodies this, doesn't he, in his own life. The one telling the story about forgiveness secures our forgiveness. Because in the Christian life, forgiveness is only possible if there's blood. It's the only way. 
Someone has to die. Because forgiveness in the Bible is not a lofty therapeutic Hallmark movie. Forgiveness is bloody. In the Bible, forgiveness is bloody. Forgiveness is, not only, is only possible when the debt and weight of sin is put on someone. There has to be atonement and sacrifice. Guys, y'all know this if you grew up in church especially. One of Jesus' nicknames is the Lamb of God. You know what that means? It's a sacrifice term. It's a sac- He's going to, to die. He's going to secure our forgiveness. Isaiah, a prophet, wrote this hundreds of years before Jesus was born. And this is how he describes Jesus, the Messiah, who would come to take away our sins. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. As from, as from one men who hid their faces, he was despised. No one esteemed him. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. Do you see this? And with his wounds we're healed. All like sheep we've gone astray. We've turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What can wash away our sins? How can we experience real forgiveness? Not scorekeeping. Not your prayer life. Not your evangelism. Not your GPA. Not your reputation. Not your holiness. Only the cross of Christ is enough and sufficient to secure and experience real forgiveness. That's the only way it's possible. It's seeing Jesus soaked in his own blood on a cross saying to his father, do not punish her, punish me. Do not condemn him, condemn me. Don't kill them, kill me. I'll satisfy my father's judgment so that my people will never have to experience punishment. When you see Jesus that way is your substitute. That's how you experience forgiveness that's real. It's when you see Jesus' work and you admit it's the only shot you have. It's the only shot you have. So we don't just extend forgiveness. We have to experience it. You see this? It's the fuel for it. It's how we get wind in our sails. Les Miserables uh, is, a, is a famous place. And there's a famous character, Jean Valjean. And he goes, uh, he ends up being homeless and he's running from the law. And he ends up at a priest's house, this kind of monastic situation. And he steals a set of candlesticks from a priest and he leaves. Obviously, to probably go sell it for money. He gets caught. He comes back to the priest. You know what happens if you've seen it. This priest ends up forgiving him. And this act of forgiveness that he experiences from this priest changes his life. And here's the words that he says in one of his Jean Valjean's famous songs after he experiences grace and mercy from this priest. Yet why did I allow this man, this priest, to touch my soul and teach me love? He treated me like any other. He gave me his trust. He called me brother. My life he claims for God above can such things be? 
For I had come to hate the world, and this world had always hated me. Take an eye for an eye. Turn your heart into stone. This is all that I've lived for. This is all that I've known. But one word from him, and I'd be back beneath the lash upon the rack. Instead, he offers me my freedom. I feel my shame inside me like a knife. He told me that I have a soul. How does he know? What spirit comes to move my life? Is there another way to go? So what we've seen, if you know this, if you've seen the movie or the play, that Jean Valjean from this point on commits to a lifestyle of extending forgiveness to others. That's what he does. He's got one song, experiencing forgiveness, extending forgiveness. That is Jean Valjean. That is his life. And that's what's so powerful about the story, if you've seen it. I've never been to an AA meeting, but I have a lot of friends that have had, have just worked like these random retail jobs, working with guys like ex-heroin addicts and alcoholics that have been in the recovery community. They've been in that community for years. And one of my friends who's a manager of the store in which I worked before seminary, he was a heroin addict for several years, and he'd been sober for about 10 years and was converted to Christianity and I noticed that this guy was one of the most compassionate people I had ever met. And we had, I had coworkers that were crazy incompetent, crazy annoying. And he showed grace and mercy and forgiveness in a way that I was just shocked by. And I, I was thinking about this as I've been studying this week on this passage. And I thought about this guy because here, the thing about recovery communities is that they know what it feels like to experience forgiveness and grace because all of them in their own way have come to the end of themselves. They know full well of their own ability to sin against other people and ruin their lives. And oftentimes AA meetings is the first time that they've been welcomed by people and they've experienced forgiveness for the first time. And so I'm not shocked that my friend extended forgiveness because forgiven people forgive. He had experienced it. This was like, and he was, I mean, he was a sponsor for alcoholics. He was thick in this community. We extend forgiveness when we've experienced it. Who are you struggling to forgive right now? What kinds of sins like get under your skin that you're like when people do that thing it could be like they're not a good listener and they're socially dominant and they talk too much it could be like they keep drinking and won't stop what is it what like what sins and kinds of people you're just allergic to it what is that who is that Because here's the thing, on all of us, I'm here with you, our impatience and refusal to forgive people and unwillingness to do this says something about where our hearts are. It says something about where our hearts are and how we're viewing ourselves and our relationship with God. Get personal about this for a second. I drive to to Pine Street, go through Converse Heights and get on Pine Street to come to Wofford. And during, you know, Pine Street Elementary School, crazy congested sometimes i get so angry like i like in i don't get real explosive with the road rage but in here i'm like murdering everyone um uh, and so i get so frustrated by this 
And I look to my right and my left, and there's these like people probably on the way to the nursing home. I'm like, why are you on the road right now? I don't know who you are. I'm judging you. I wish you didn't exist in the world, much less on this road. <clears throat> Just saying. I'm not alone. That's why you're laughing. Um, <clears throat> um, now, what does this say? Listen, what, what, is, what does this say about my heart? What does that say about my heart? When I am so angry at a 70-year-old woman who I've never met, what does that say? And so entitled, so entitled, right? I'm late to a one-on-one with you guys. So, who is this in front of me, right? You, this tone of, yeah, I know. I've lost sight that I, I've lost sight and my heart has forgotten that I am a forgiven sinner. I've lost sight of the reality that I'm a forgiven sinner. And it is a miracle that I'm a Christian. It is a miracle that I'm alive. I'm only saved by grace, not my performance. Thank God. And by my holiness, it's a miracle that I am forgiven of my sin. I'm so messed up and I'm forgiven. Do you feel... If, I land, if that lands in my heart, I hope that the 70-year-old woman has a little bit more grace in my heart, right? Forgiven people forgive. They just have this posture of forgiveness. Even when you're not kind of like they're not, she's not doing anything directly to me. But I can relate to people on, even on the road when I know who I am as a forgiven sinner with a posture of forgiveness, Forgiveness sounds great until you get hurt. And I'm really glad that Jesus doesn't buy into Taylor Swift's. We love T. Swift, but her theology is a little whack. Um, I'm glad that Jesus didn't buy into her forgiveness theology because it has limits. It has limits. And forgiveness with limits and conditions is not Christian. It is not distinctly Christian. It is not gospel. Scorekeeping your way to God's favor is not Jesus' way. The good news that I want to invite you to embrace is that while we were dead corpses rotting away in our sin, Jesus goes to a cross and he dies, goes into his tomb and walks up out of a graveyard to secure your forgiveness. That is good news. That is good news. Christ took our place. And when you put your eyes on him, I mean, do you want to be a forgiving person? Look at Jesus. Look to him. And over time, when you develop the muscle memory of looking to Jesus, when your heart wants to look at other places, and you get entitled and picky about who should get forgiveness and who doesn't deserve it, and how many times... When you look at the cross, you will be fueled to forgive people. This could be people on the road. This could be someone when you were seven years old and you don't want to talk about it because it was so traumatic. The cross is the answer to a forgiving life. That's what we're invited to, and it's beautiful. When Christians do this to each other and forgive, it's unbelievable. I was so captured by my dad. All these examples, forgiving people forgive. I invite you to do that. Let me pray for us.